this week we're gonna look into the murder of Sally Ann. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. Welcome to the first ever Undercover with the Black Rose episode number one. Today we're going to look into Sally Ann. Sally Ann's murder was tragic, but what had made the 18-year-old's death worse was that she was right outside of her home when she was attacked in the early hours of the morning. Her screams of pain and terror went unanswered. And when a neighbor eventually came out to investigate, it was too late. Born in September 1987 in Carhalst, South London, Sally Ann was the youngest of four daughters. She had set her sights on fame. She attended the Brit School, a performing arts college that had honored the talent of Adele and Amy Winehouse. She has also worked part-time as a hairdresser. At six feet tall, she was also a model and became the face of Swatch, which caught the attention of Plus Model Management, who quickly signed her. On the 24th of September, 2005, was a Saturday, and like most 18-year-olds, Sally and her older sister was planning on a night out on the town after a long week. Not wanting to travel into London, the women decided to spend their evening on Cordell High Street at Lloyd's Bar. The friends drank and had a good time, but at 1 a.m., Sally was ready to leave and waited for her cab to take her to a friend's house. Soon after arriving, Sally Ann called her ex-boyfriend, Lewis, who was at Kingston at the Works nightclub and asked him to collect her and drop her home. He picked her up in his car around 2.20 a.m. and began to drive back to her house. During the car ride, the pair argued about their relationship ending, which was blaming the other for cheating. The argument lasted for two hours, and for Lewis, it was forever stamped in his memory. I thought she had been with the boys that night, and she thought I'd been with the girls. It was just jealousy. There may have been raised voices, but no shouting. Nobody outside the car would have heard it. When we made up hugging and kissing, but Sally Ann didn't want me to leave, and we started to argue. 
In all, it was about for one and a half to two hours from the time we arrived. The 20-year-old plastered had stopped the car near Sally's home on Benham Crest, but Sally wasn't ready to leave her ex-boyfriend yet. I leaned across to open the passenger door. She and I got out of the passenger door, and I went to get her into the car again, but she didn't want to go, and she grabbed me, ripping my t-shirt and my chain in my neck. After a couple of minutes, I got back into the car, and I locked the doors. Sally Ann picked up her handbag, and I saw her walking away through the rearview mirror. The last thing I saw of Sally Ann was her entering her front garden. She was looking at me the first couple of seconds as she walked towards the garden. At 4.20 a.m., Sally Ann's screams were heard by her neighbors, but none investigated the noise. She had been stabbed several times outside of her home by her attacker already, but when no one opened their door to find the source of the cries, her attack continued. He violently raped Sally Ann while she was dying. Soon after the attack, one of the neighbors who heard Sally screams found the 18-year-old near her home surrounded by blood. I put on my dressing gown and slippers and went across the road. I walked around to the left side and skipped. I just felt I knew what I was see. I knelt just as a natural thing and said, oh, poor darling. The police were called and the home was cornered off to the lookers who began surrounding the quiet road. The autopsy of Sally Nan was performed quickly and the findings was not what the police expected. Alongside the stabbed wounds, some who which had pierced all the way through Sally's body, they found bite marks on her neck and chest and cheek. The attack was vicious and sh shocked the community. Investigations to find the teenager's murder began in the earnest because there were no real witnesses or security cameras. Despite the heavy populated area, it wasn't going to be easy to find him. But they had one piece of evidence on their side. The killer left his DNA. Sally Ann's boyfriend, Lewis, was intentionally treated as the main suspect in the case and was eventually arrested for her murder after phone records show he had threatened her by seeing other women. However, his DNA was not a match to the sample found at the scene. And he was released four days later. Nearly five months after Sally Ann's murder, DNA screening began across Cordon. Of the 340,000 people living in the area, only 70, 771 men came forward to volunteer their samples. The police had nothing else to go on, and the case was going cold. Now it was February. And little progress has been invested into the 18-year-old's murder. It would take another four months before Sally Ann's killer revealed himself. That Saturday in September had been a night out for many of the Corden area. Over 150 bars and pubs to choose from. There was no shortage of socializing opportunities in town. This night, while Sally Ann drank at Lloyd's Bar on the High Street, Another celebration was happening two miles down the road. Mark Dixie had turned 35 and was celebrating his birthday that night. The pub chief had spent the evening drinking at the 
winds their castle pup with a couple of friends and returning home from a camping trip earlier that day. After drinking heavenly and taking drugs, Dixie and his friends finally left the pup around 2.30 a.m. to return to the house on Abaddon Road, where he was left on the sofa downstairs alone for the rest of the night. Nine months later, on the 15th of June, Mark Dixie was arrested for a minor brawl bar over the England versus Trinidad and Tobago football game. He was watching in the pub in Crawley, West Sussex. Police could take DNA from anyone arrested, no matter how minor the crime scene was at the point. That day, Dixie cried while being questioned and swabbed, assuming the custody officers. The reason for his emotion outburst was soon later become apparent. It took two weeks for Mark's Dixie's DNA to work its way through the system, and to come back, it was a match to the sample found on Sally Ann Bowman. Dixie was arrested at work while on cigarette break during the search of his property, Peace. Police found several images of Sally Ann and footage of him masturbating over them. The pub chief pleaded not guilty for the murder of the 18-year-old, and he went to trial at Old Bailey in February 2008. During the trial, he was described as a freeloader who used people, and many acquaintances came forward to tell their stories of the man described as bad, not mad. The jury heard how Dixie locked his friends in their bathroom so they wouldn't realize he left. It was also revealed that he tried to remove his DNA from Sally Ann's body using cement dust from a nearby building, skipping nearby building skipping, covering the bite marks and pouring it down her throat. The court also heard that Dixie used to live a few doors down. From Sally Ann Bowman. I want to thank you guys for being a part of today's first episode. There's more to come on Sally Ann. Stay tuned to part two of Sally Ann. Welcome back to Undercover by the Black Rose. I'm so glad you decided to join us. Sit back, relax, and listen to the end of the story. part one of Sally and this week it's part two and the last of it I hope you guys can understand 
how Sally Ann's murder was so terrific. Horrific. Okay. He later confessed to raping Sally Ann while she lay dead or dying, but refused to admit he had killed the teenager, claiming he found her unconscious and took advantage of the situation. He said he only realized she was dead when he bit her cheek. On the 22nd of February, he was unanimously found guilty of the murder after three hours of deliberation by the jury. He was sentenced to a minimum of 34 years in prison, where he was transferred to County Durham Facility, HMP Franklin. The sentencing was one of the longest minimum terms ever handed out in the United Kingdom. After the sentencing, Detective Superintendent Cootie spoke to the press. <clears throat> Mark Dixie faces a life behind bars as a result that ensures that the public are protected from a truly dangerous sexual killer. Sally Ann was a young woman who had her whole life ahead of her. Mark Dixie cut that life short in the most horrific way imaginable. As more details came to light during the trial, the court heard that Dixie had lived in Australia from 1993 to 1999, where he followed a girlfriend named Sandra, who he eventually had two sons with. At the time, the Claremont serial killer was prowling birth, and for a while, it was thought that Dixie and the killer were one of the same. Although his DNA confirmed he wasn't the right man, there were others who Dixie went on to hurt. The chief had a long criminal record, including robbery, burglary, indecent assault, exposure, assaulting a police officer. He used aliases such as Mark Down, Stephen McDonald, and Shane Turner, and he had been deported from Australia after he committed a sexual offense. In 2015, Dixie finally admitted to killing Sally Ann Bowman. He also confessed that he raped two other women. In 1997, when Dixie was just 16, he attacked a woman, pushing her into her own car and sexually assaulting her. He tied her to the door and he set a light to the vehicle. However, the woman managed to escape. In 1998, a Thai student in Australia was threatened at knife point to strip off her clothes, and her assailant then stabbed her and left her for dead. Though she survived, the DNA found that the scene belonged to Mark Dixie. He also went to admit to the brutal rape in 20. Oh, two, he sexually assaulted the woman on a set of stairs and bludgeoned her with a knife sharpener. She reportedly survived the attack. Dixie was also reportedly robbed, raped, and battered three women while living in Spain with his girlfriend. In total, he had 17 other convictions for criminal acts. And in 2017, Dixie was given two further life sentences for sexual attacks in 1987 and 2002. There was criticism at the time as to why authorities in Australia didn't put Mark Dixie in prison, or at least on the sex register for his crimes. At the time, Dixie had been ordered to pay a fine and was deported. We know now that he was arrested at least three times in Australia, and he was deported without any warning being issued by the authorities, Sullyan mother said. We did they did not do their job properly, and the reason is for my daughter's death.
Mark Dixie was still in prison, HMP Franklin, where he reportedly became friends with Levi Belfield, Ian Huntley, and the late Peter Suckiff. Over the years, Dixie has been linked to other unsolved cases, including the attack of a woman just hours before Sally Ann's same vicinity, and Jennifer Keeley, a homeless woman who killed in January 20, 2005. Still, there seemed to be rec- little recent news. If the breakthrough was over a year ago, I'm wondering why they haven't tried to find a link to Dixie. Jennifer's mother deserves answer, said Sally Ann's mother. Detective Superintendent Stuart Sunday criticized the speed at which Mark Dixie was identified. It is my opinion that the National DNA Register, with all its appropriate safeguards, could have identified Sally Ann's murder within 24 hours. Instead, it took nearly nine months before Mark Dixie was identified and almost two and a half years for justice to be done. The government turned down the the National DNA Registry Bill, stating that it was impractical to safeguard a database of 60 million people at the time. Not to mention it was ethical issues with putting everyone who lived in the UK on databases for the ease of catching criminals. Mark Dixie is now 50 years old and is unlikely to see the outside world again. With a potential release date of 2040, over the years, his motives had been brought into question. He was a tall, good-looking guy who was, wasn't sure of female admirers. It's been argued that his childhood is the reason for his action. At 18 months old, Dixie's father left the family and never returned. In his place, a new stepfather, Ronald McDonald, moved into the home, abusing and beating him viciously. When Dixie was 12, he left. He was left on the steps of the children's home by his mother in Streamham. He was taken into care and began robbing people at just 14. He punched a teacher in the face when he was 15 and was expelled six weeks in the Young Offenders Institute. The violence continued into adulthood. Three Weeks before Sally Ann's murder, Dixie was thrown out of the home he shared with his girlfriend and young son. But instead of waiting around, he boarded a coach to Amsterdam, where he took drugs and partied until his money ran out. The night of Sally's murder, Dixie had tried to convince his girlfriend to take him back, but she refused. A series of events accumulating over a long period of time could have been what sent the chief over the edge that night. And it isn't a pass on his heinous acts. In 2013, Sally Ann's body was exhumed from her grave site as her headstone had been destroyed four times in six months. And the area had become a breeding ground for the antisocial behavior. Though her family now has some closure, with Mark Dixie admitting to killing Sally Ann's memory has been tarnished by those who lived Little respect for the dead. I hope that you guys like the end of this part two of Sally Ann. Be lookout for more coming soon. So I'm happy that you all decided to sit down and listen. Until next time, have a good day.